0: Welcome to Venture Unlocked. I'm your host, Samir Kaji. This week, we have a really fun discussion with Marlon Nichols, managing general partner at Mac Ventures, a product of a merger between Cross-Culture Ventures and M-Ventures. After spending five years at Intel Capital, Marlon founded Cross-Culture Ventures in 2015 along with renowned music talent manager Troy Carter. The firm had what they coined a cultural investing thesis and focused on companies that address the convergence of global popular culture and technology. On the show, Marlon takes us through what it was like going through a firm merger, how they use a different lens for investing and helping companies, and how diverse partnerships can drive hard to replicate differentiation. Now, let's get into this episode to hear all of that and more. Marlon, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, man. It's it's great to be here. Well, we're heading into the Thanksgiving weekend, and we're going to have a lot of fun talking about building a venture firm. But before we get into any of that, let's talk about your journey into venture. Why did you decide to become an investor?
1: Yeah, I started my career like right out of undergrad in tech. I joined an enterprise software company called Fortuneless Commerce um, at the seed stage and had the opportunity to be one of three people to ultimately um, take that company over to the UK and grow it to serve the UK and in Europe. So uh, basically... You know, that was my first time seeing a company almost from inception to a liquidity event. Um, and I learned a lot about myself during that, that, that period of time. I, I definitely enjoyed being in a startup, but learned that, you know, I'm probably not the right guy that's going to operate, you know, one company for five, seven years. After that, I you know, moved back to New York and decided to try my hand at consulting um, which I had a pretty good career in. Um, first, I was doing kind of post m integration work uh, with the Blackstone Group and then moved into um, <clears throat> straight strategy consulting with an emphasis on media and entertainment. So I worked with companies like um, Warner Music Group and um, McGraw-Hill as they were trying to navigate at the time the, what was becoming the proliferation of the internet um, and how, how to make it their friend as opposed to the enemy it was shaping up to be. And that was great. And, but I, again, I learned um, something else about myself was that I needed to, you know, to have more skin in the game. I needed to really be involved in the ventures that, you know, that I was dealing with and consulting, it was, it was kind of uh, too much of an arm's length away. And so I started trying to figure out what was next and, and, and what could get me in the middle, kind of like, you know, Goldilocks, right? Too big, too small. I need something right in the middle. That was venture capital. And, um, you know, I wanted to work with incredibly smart people every day, um, which I found in Founders. I wanted to be around cutting edge technology and and kind of in the new what's next in terms of tech and innovation. And so I I get that in in venture every day. And I wanted to, um, you know, still participate in strategy conversations and, um, you know, have, have a hand in coaching in terms of what happens around operations but not be the person that's running the company, but also not being able to walk away after you know a six-month engagement. Right, this is five, ten-year commitment. It, it, venture seemed like the right way to go, so I went back to business school to um, basically build a network and venture and start to pick up some of the skills skills that I um, I, I thought I was lacking in around finance and accounting and, and things like that. I went back to Cornell and um, I was fortunate to kind of win the keys to the uh, school's pre seed venture fund. I was a CEO of that fund for a couple years that I was there. Um, and that helped me to network into the space and, and also just kind of start to get some reps. And ultimately I graduated and joined Intel Capital. And that was in my real um, kind of training ground in, in venture. All in, all in, it was five years with Intel Capital. As an investment director for um, for four of those five, uh, associate investment director for one and maybe one and a half, and worked across a number of business um, <clears throat> business units from media uh, and entertainment again to um, software and services, which is essentially enterprise software, to a group that we called new user experiences, and that was about um, cutting edge technology um, that was kind of consumer facing, um, to you know helping to stand up the 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 diversity fund and and investing in um, in founders of color. You know, Intel was great because they also, in addition to you know, um, providing such a, a great platform to learn uh, from you know some some top investors. Uh, Lisa Lambert um, was was one of my direct managers. And a number of other other people, Darmesh Thacker, who's now at Battery. I learned from some some of the greats, and um, also uh, they sponsored my Coffman uh, Fellowship which was really game-changing, um, kind of opened my eyes. And, you know, unfortunately for them, <laughs> fortunately for me, kind of shifted the paradigm. And, you know, that's when I made the decision to, you know, kind of step out on my own and, and start my, my first fund, which is called Cross Culture.
0: That's great, Marlon. And I'm glad you brought up the Kaufman Fellows. Both of us went through it. And one of the items that I've always thought about, you know, in going through the Kaufman Fellows is how diverse the group of individuals around the room was, what exactly sparked in your mind, you know, when you left Intel Capital, what was that opportunity you saw? And touch a little bit on the aspect of investing in diversity.
1: So the the thing that um, the eye opening or the aha moment for me is that I, I, you know, when I first got into venture or had the aspiration to um, pursue a career in venture, I always knew that, you know, I wanted to, to lead my own fund or vehicle, um, but I had this thing in my mind where, you know, you, got, you had to be 15, 20 years into the business. You know, you had to be on the Midas list, um, a plethora of um, huge exits before you could even think about starting your own fund. And, and that was the shift that happened for me. I was seeing my classmates and folks that were in classes ahead of me, behind me. Um, and where they were in in their respective careers when when they ventured out and started their own funds and I, I felt like I had a, a an interesting perspective or lens that um, that I could bring to, to to venture capital, which was around around culture and you know investing without a bias um, as it relates to you know gender, race, ethnicity. and I wanted to to bring that to the world and um, you know Kaufman basically showed me that there's a path to doing that that the prerequisites weren't what I thought they needed to
0: be did you have a mental model and certainly the aspects or the notion of investing in diversity is something that we hear a lot about right now but beyond that leaving intel understanding that you could start a firm without 15 or 20 years of experience and a long track record what type of things did you want to make sure were in place before launching you know, cross-culture with your partners?
1: I'll be honest with you. At the time, I, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, had no, I had no clue. Um, so, you know, the, the thing that
1: you, the, the smart thing to do is to talk to people that, that have a better sense, right? So I consulted with, um, with other fellows like Jason Green, who, who's still a, a mentor and investor. Um, Phil Wickham, also a mentor and investor, you know, within the, the Kauffman Fellows Program and, and Frida and Mitch Kekor. Uh, who have been mentors of mine for a long time. And, you know, just really talk about what's it gonna what's it gonna take, right? And <clears throat> what I got from those conversations is you need a um a unique point of view is the biggest thing, right? Um there, there are tons of early stage, seed stage venture firms in the world. Why is the thing that you're going to be what about the thing that you're building is gonna be different. And different in a in a in a very positive way. And so you know that that made me think about you know who I am, who my partner is and um, and and what's the what's the unique value proposition that um, or value that we could bring to, to entrepreneurs and it it came down to the way that we grew up, the communities the environments that um, we've seen our entire lives, understanding the challenges within those those communities, having a good sense of what it would take to um, overcome some of those challenges, you know, a good sense of um, how technology could be leveraged to overcome those challenges. And, and then beyond that, just like our tie to um, popular culture and the source of popular culture. Um, <clears throat> it was like all those things made us really, give us a really unique viewpoint. <laughs> um, and, and it enabled us to, to see things that a lot of other um, investors, frankly, don't see right away, and so you know we wanted to, to tap into that kind of superpower and, and build out from there.
0: If I remember this correctly, with cross culture, the first fund you made, I forget how many investments, but the fund has performed exceptionally well. And we'll get into what made it so successful with the companies you backed and the thought around investing in different type of founders that are solving. You know, issues that may not be traditional Silicon Valley problems. We'll get to that in a minute. But you ultimately decided with M Capital to go and merge the two firms. We haven't seen much of that. Given the success of Cross Culture One, what led to that decision of joining ranks with the, uh, the folks at M?
1: I co-founded um, Cross Culture with, with Troy Carter. And, um, for, for those that don't know Troy, um, you know, he's a music mobile entrepreneur and, and investor. And so very busy person with that wears a lot of hats and, um, is in a lot of different circles. And, um, and, and so, you know, our, uh, he, he's also one of my closest friends right um, now. And our relationship on the professional side was, you know, you know Marlon, you're going to basically run the fund, um, you know, day to day you know, I'm gonna uh, help with deal sourcing. I'm going to um, leverage, you know, kind of my network and um, the things that I know about marketing and, and business development to help the companies. Um, but you're gonna run it. And, you know, we did we did well with that for our, our first fund, which, you know, we, we call a proof of concept fund. <laughs> it was fund one. But as, you know, we started thinking about fund two, um, and and creating a franchise you, you need a, a dedicated team um, you know that's a hundred percent focused on on building out this franchise. and so you know i had I had two options at that point um, because we knew he was going to move to a, a more of an, a limited partner role and advisory role as opposed to day to day because that's you know that's how he would serve this vision um, that we had um, so yeah, I could I could either go out and start interviewing a bunch of folks and you know try to find a fit or I could partner with a, a group of folks that we've been co-investing alongside for for some time now. And some folks that we have, you know, good personal relationships with and um, and some folks that we know kind of uh, while articulated in a different way, thought about investing the types of companies that we invested in, in the same way. Um, so that, that was, you know, that was Adrian and Mike at, um, at M ventures and and, and Charles who's, who's uh, more of a venture partner with us. Um, they created M ventures, you know, like, as I mentioned, we've invested in a number of the same companies. And so I, I just brought it to them (laughs) look, thinking about doing something different. It's, it's a little out of the box, but, um, you know, (laughs) I think, I think it could be a monumental shift for, um, for both of us, uh, both of our groups. And um, they kind of saw it the same way. And then we started building.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, as I mentioned before, it's not fairly traditional to have multiple GPs or firms merge together. Bonfire, of course, has done that with Mark Mullen and Jim Andelman. What's interesting here is that you joined and forces with the team that was three people. You were joining as a one. How did you get comfortable with merging with a firm that had, you know, a bigger investing team? And what was your own mental framework of what you needed to make sure was in place at least from a partnership standpoint for this to work? For me, it was it was less about uh, numbers,
1: right? Um, when you think about you think about a, a team um, and putting together a great team, everyone has a role to play. And so what are the roles that that, that each of us would um, play? And you know the thing that was um, uh, kind of the, the, the hole in, in what they had built was you know someone that was kind of formally trained in, in venture, um, had you know experience leading, leading deals um, as opposed to following on, 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 deals. And, you know, what, what, what I needed was, <clears throat> you know, folks that were, that, that brought different skill sets and different networks. Right. Um, Cause I'm always thinking about how do we add, you know, kind of outsized value to our, um, to our portfolio companies. Right. And so you, you said there's three of them, right. There are two full-time and, and, you know, Charles is, is part-time. I don't have a lack of confidence. Um, just to be just to be honest. Um and and really just about getting comfortable, right? Like, are we are we all viewing this the same way? You know, we spent we spent uh three-fourths of a year basically stress testing this. So we didn't just like jump, you know, it's, oh this is a great idea, just jump in. We <laughs> we um Evaluated companies together, you know, we 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 had countless conversations around, you know, how we merge our strategies. Um, we had countless conversations around how we're going to make investment decisions. um, and how, you know, how do we make it fair so that you know we all have um, have an equal voice in, in, in what we're doing. No one's overpowered or left out of the mix, right? And and it's it's also just about respect, right? So, you know, um, do they have respect for um, what I've done in my career and what I've built with cross culture? Do I have respect for what they've all done in their careers and and what they built with with M-Ventures? And if we, you know, we truly respect each other and value the diversity of our backgrounds and experiences, um, you know, it kind of takes care of itself, but we took it a step further and, and, you know, did the hard work to make sure that we were building a lasting partnership.
0: You know, it leads me to the next question. It sounds like you spent a lot of time identifying those complementary, you know, skill sets and networks and certainly spending a ton of time thinking about, you know, from a partnership standpoint, do you have the same philosophies and visions in the type of companies and the type of firm you want to build? But then there's the other aspect, which is, you know, fundraising and what did your existing LPs and cross culture think? And as you raised Mac, what was the overall impression from the LPs of a merged vehicle or a merged firm now?
1: One of the great things uh, you know, that we had at, at cross culture and I found out that they had at, at M Ventures is this is a, a, a very supportive LP base. And so when, when I went to, to, to my LP base and I, I told them what I was, um, thinking about doing and just kind of laid out the the pros and, and, and the cons of it, they trusted me 100%. And every, every institution that was, um, in cross culture came over into, into Mac because it was, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was a, a belief in me and a belief in the vision that I had. Um, and, you know, just. Confidence that you know, I'm not going to enter into something that would be less than what we had already started to build. It was, it was 100% additive um, and exponentially additive. And so, yeah, they, they, all, they all bought in um, and you know, spoke loudly with their, with their checks.
0: Now that you've raised funds for two different firms in a fairly short amount of time Cross Culture One, now you know, Mac Ventures. Can you maybe compare and contrast the type of questions LPs asked during both of those fundraises, And, you know, in particular, what were the main differences? There are three primary things that LPs care about. Um,
1: one is, do you have unique access to, um, to high quality deal flow consistently? Two, do you have the right lens to make the, the right um, bets? And three, can this partnership last? Right. And, and three is probably... Probably the most important out of, out of all of them. Honestly, I faced um, challenges with, um, with that third point on both phones, right? Because the, the first time around, you know, Troy and I hadn't worked together before. So we had to dem- demonstrate that, you know, this, this could work to our, our LP base. Um, and, you know, this time around, while, while we worked together, um, you know, as you know, kind of partnering, our respective um, firms and funds, we, we hadn't been in it together, right? Um, it, it's one thing to co-invest uh, out of separate vehicles. It's another thing to actually um, make the decisions together, right? And, and support each other as a team and have the difficult conversations as a team right? Um, Where you're making that call, right? There's no, there's no, okay, um, you guys aren't into this. Well, we're going to go forward, (laughs) you know, anyway, it's like, no, now you're one team. We got to make the decision to either go forward or not go forward. And so the thing that we did um, in both funds actually is we, we jumped out to a, to a early first close and started investing out of the vehicle right away. You know, so in that, you know, all of our, you know, cross culture and M ventures, um, LPs, you know, um, essentially became the anchors for our first close. And that allowed us to start investing, you know, so we're, we're about a year into that now. And, you know, we've been, we've committed to 14 companies. We've already, you know, from a fair value to, um, cost perspective, we're already at two X, right. Um, in, in a year. So it's working, being able to, demonstrate to new lps that you know look you don't just have to take our word for it like look at these 14 um investment decisions that we've made and talk to the portfolio company to understand the value that we're um that we're bringing to them and the ones that have dug in to validate those things they become they become um investors of ours
0: so if i hear that correctly it sounds like your mind is on the philosophy that You know, you do a close, get started, and then continue to fundraise, you know, as you invest in companies and are able to now, of course, show, hey, look at what type of companies we're investing. So you have something tangible. There is another school of thought that says, okay, well, if you do a close, make sure the close is at least a certain percentage of your target because you don't want to have negative signaling how do you view that? And what would be your answer to that latter view?
1: Conventional thinking is conventional thinking and it's a safe way to go. Um, but you know, when, when you got to throw all the cards on the table and go for it, then you just got to go for it. You know, for us, it was like, um, I mean, you know, our first post was, it was a significant number, right? Not anywhere near where we, um, what our, our target was. Right. But, but significant enough for us to, um, to start to get some things done. I think where, where some folks might get in trouble is, um, you, you start making those investments, but you start investing outside of the model that you're pitching. Right. So, so you met, mad- so you're managing less money. So you're writing, you know, maybe smaller checks than you intend to, you're taking, um, a smaller amount of ownership in the companies that, that you intend to, et cetera, right? That's not gonna provide um, confidence that you can deliver on the model that you're setting, that you're setting out to deliver on. So, you know, we, we wanted to basically, you know, show instead of, um, instead of talking about it. And it, you know, fortunately it, it panned out. It might not be for everyone, right? But, you know, um, we're gonna take big swings we're confident in, in our abilities. If it didn't work out well, you know, then, you know, we got to have an interesting story to tell. (laughs) Right. But yeah, but, but fortunately it, it, it did. Right. And, um, and we continue to move
0: forward. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. And especially in this case where you can tangibly show investors or prospective investors, the type of deals that you do together versus a reliance on you know the deals that you did individually before the merger. Now shifting the partnership lens to how do you put it together from a product standpoint? And in particular, what do you provide founders that takes all of the unique backgrounds and skills that you have to uh, truly de- deliver something consistent and valuable for uh, the people you work with?
1: Before I answer that, probably makes sense to talk a little bit about the team, right? So... You know, Adrian Fenty was the fifth mayor of Washington, D.C. Um, he he was a special advisor to Andreessen Horowitz for four and a half years, helping them think about, you know, how they would uh, support companies that navigate, you know, heavy regulatory environments like Airbnb, Lyft, et cetera, Right. Basically helped to build that practice before um, co-founding M-Ventures. Um, you know, Michael Palank, our, our other full-time uh, GP, you know, Mike um, was a, an agent at, at WME. Um, he helped to run Will Smith's family office. He spent time with both Amplify and Science, um, the accelerators here in L.A. Uh, and he, he also, um, you know, stepped in as a temporary CEO and CFO of a couple of um, a couple of startups, um, you know, and raised money from, as they say, tier one investors and then, um, kind of our, our special general partner or, um, or venture partner, Charles King, you know, was a Hollywood super agent, <laughs> um, having, you know, managed, uh, the careers of Oprah Winfrey, Tyler Perry, Prince, <laughs> Michael B. Jordan, Ryan Coogler, et cetera, and, and, and now runs a, um, you know, a, a quickly growing media company. So You know, though, and I talked about my background already, but all those combined experiences give us access to uh, um, a unique network, right? So if you're, if you want to be connected to, at at a very senior level too, right? So if you want to be connected to media and entertainment, whether we're talking about entities or individuals or uh, professional sports or, you know, the Fortune 500 or um, government, um, both federal and um, and local, or um, you know, call it the the who's who of um, startups in the last twenty years. like we we have those relationships, um, you know, and they're deep relationships that we can we can you know kind of bring to bear. And you know, Spotify is a great example of that um, and and the gimlet media acquisition, right? where you know, we introduced Gimlet to, um, just to Spotify, um, early on, um, they became their, you know, a huge partner to them. And then ultimately their acquirer, those conversations move, move, move quickly, right? We have a, um, a company in the portfolio called ready responders. That's kind of in the health tech space. It's like gig economy play for, um, Medical emergency response and um, and and medical um, routine um, medical visits. You know, we wanted to get that company into Washington D.C. Right, so Adrian was was very um, helpful in making that happen in a very rapid way. Right, skipping all the steps that you'd equate to bureaucracy and and moving to moving to the substance. And then obviously the company has to win on its own merit, but. Um, you know, avoiding all the BS is, is a good thing, right? Those are just things that, that, that we can do um, just within our, within our team that a lot of other firms, um, frankly, don't have the diversity uh, of relationships that, that we do. The other thing um, that, that we um, pride ourselves on is helping our portfolio companies tell their stories early and, and well. Right. So we, we believe that and this comes from kind of the entertainment background, that the way that you um, you come out to the world has an outsized impact on how large you ultimately become and how quickly you get there. Just given our background, we have a, um, a unique perspective and a unique ability to help companies do that well. So those are the, those are the things that we, we, we typically um, hang our hat on. And then obviously we're operators, too you know, rolling up our sleeves. You know, we, we sit on boards, um, we, we sit on different committees within our companies and, and actually um, can give credible advice around, you know, navigating operational challenges because we've operated companies in the past. I'd say those are the, the, the three main um, pillars, if you would, of, of how we stand out in terms of our support of our portfolio companies.
0: That's great. And it's very clear just hearing everyone's background how much of a network that you've collectively built and how, you know, the companies that you're investing in can tap into. But I also look at venture and there's two sides of your customer base. There's your founders, and then there's the folks that entrust you with their money, the limited partners. How do you think about driving any type of value to LPs outside of the standard of, we will provide you outsized returns? Is there something that you do to help your LPs that do invest into you outside of the returns?
1: We have some um, corporations that are, that are LPs that their motive for, for working with us is, is not necessarily financial, um, although that is important. It, for them, it's, it's more about um, what can they learn in terms of you know, what's new in the realm of technology as it relates to their business. Are there you know, companies that they can track within our portfolio um so that as they mature and get to a certain point they can become partners um, or they can partner with them and and helping improve their business that's one we also have um, a number of impact um centric lps that are you know looking for you know social value um, in addition to financial return what are we doing to kind of uh level the playing field from um you know, a racial equity perspective in entrepreneurship. What are some of the um, kind of gap closing um, companies that we've in, that we can and have invested in? You know, that remedies um, a lot of disparities. Um, you know, what are some of the um, kind of socially conscious um, companies that we've invested in that are truly solving some of the world's um, biggest not only economic but uh, and not only social, but solving some of the, um, the issues for the health of the, of the planet.
0: Touching on that, and we briefly, briefly alluded to the importance of diversity, and you've been investing in diverse founders for a very, very long time, going back to Intel Capital. Everyone talks about it now, but why do you think so many firms struggle with this, both in terms of investing in founders and also building their own internal teams to be as diverse as possible.
1: It comes down to, to networks and human nature, right? So human nature is one where we want, to, we want to do things that are comfortable, right? And so when you're making a hiring decision, you're going to be more comfortable with the person that went to the same school as you, that grew up in, this, in the same or similar town. Um, that has had similar experiences to you because you know, yourself, you believe in yourself. And if you're going to hire someone, you're going to try to hire yourself. Um, that's just, that's just human nature, right? But it flies counter to, um, to productivity and everything, every study that has done that has been uh, done to, um, speak about what, what it takes to, to truly be successful and to truly be successful. You got to eliminate blind spots. You have to have diverse perspectives and experiences, and in order to do that, you can't hire you over and over and over again, <laughs> right? Because now you've got a bunch of blind spots. Fortunately, you know we've had some some very tragic things, um, you know, happen uh, within our country um, this year, and that has you know kind of opened you know a lot of folks' eyes to the kind of injustices and, and inequities that exist and bias that's, that's there. And I think now we're seeing that there's some, there's some genuine interest in, in correcting, uh, what has been a wrong for a long period of time. So I'm, I'm inspired and, and encouraged by, the, um, the energy and, and, and the sustained focus, um, you know, on this, on this topic. It feels a bit different than it has than it has in the past, but you know it. Yeah, it's the morally correct thing to do, but it's also the um, you know the capitalistic thing to do.
0: To that point, I think the data has been clear. First round did a study of the performance of female led companies, and there's been a, a ton of studies on what return profiles are for funds or firms that have. You know, diverse members, and it's very, very clear that you should do it. It's still early days, and I'm glad that there's a level of awareness that we are seeing both on the investing in companies and investing in funds. What I also get concerned about is this a short lived type of push, and how do we actually create something that is much more secular in nature in shifting our world to being much more diverse? Is there a call to action that you would have, whether it's to, you know, existing larger firms or even the LPs themselves?
1: Before I answer that, I just want to, you know, make it clear, like we're, we are not a diversity fund and, you know, we invest in white guys, just like we invest in, um, in black women, um, and, and Latinas, right. Um, our objective is to invest in the best founders that are you know building solutions for the challenges that we that we deeply care about and so that was one of the things that um you know i came away with uh, you know during my time at the diversity Mm -hmm. front at intel capital um is that i didn't want at any point for anyone to any other investor to look at a a member of our portfolio family and you know, make an assumption that they receive capital because of anything outside of, um, their talent, um, skill and, uh, and what they're building. Um, so just wanted to put that out there in terms of the call to action. I think, um, as I mentioned, people are going to gravitate towards hiring folks that, that resemble them in in some way. And they're going to invest in folks that, um, resemble them in in some way, and they're going to invest in, um, you know, in solutions to challenges that they understand. And so in, in order to kind of disrupt that a bit, you're going to need more, you know, people that, that, that look like me and that look like Miriam Rivera and, and others, you know, to, to have, you know, like real purses, right. That we that we can invest out of. Um, that's the only way that this is, that this is gonna, this is gonna change. Right. And, and we're gonna hire people that, that do look like us, um, and train them. And, and, and then they're gonna go on to, to either start their own firms or, you know, work for, uh, or at some of the you know, existing venture firms that are primarily, um, white and male. Right, and and th- and that's how the the, the diversity, um, I guess, enters our um, you know our world of, of, of VC. And so, with that, I think it starts with with the LP base. You gotta allocate capital to diverse fund managers, um, qualified diverse fund managers, right? So, uh, no one's saying <laughs> you know just invest in someone because they they have a great idea and they're starting a fund. Obviously, you have your um, you know your metrics and and your um, and your bar that you need, you need folks to um, to, to meet, but um, do the work to make sure that uh, you're giving um, diverse fund managers the opportunity to, to demonstrate that they they do they do meet your criteria. Be open to, um, to to funding them and working with them and mentoring them and giving them the same. Opportunities—the same number of chances that you would for you know an all-white team.
0: These are all great points, Marlon. and I completely agree with the fact that diversity comes in many different ways. I mean, it, it's not just ethnic, but it's certainly gender, it's age, it is socioeconomic background, all of those things. And I think that your call to action for LPs, whether it Pertains to doing it because they feel it's the right thing to do. Or more importantly, I think the more important point is do it from a capitalistic standpoint because you are investing in managers that are eliminating blind spots that currently do exist almost ubiquitously across venture. And I think we're all going to be in a better place when there's more diverse capital going into founders because now you can have founders starting companies that look, feel, and are addressing problems that aren't just part of a very small insular type of network that we're used to in venture. So I totally agree with that. I want to move to the final segment of the show. And that's our heat check round where I ask you three rapid fire questions. And the first one is your biggest career mistake and what you learned from it.
1: In venture was a a deal that I did in a smart cup um, while I was at Intel Capital. There were just so many blind spots that um, I didn't know I had um, when, when making that, <laughs> that decision uh, that, you know, it, it needed to happen so that I could learn from it and, and become better. One other thing was just really getting to know the teams that you invest in, you know, making sure there isn't a high level of friction amongst the team um, members. Um, that, was, that was something I um, failed on in that one. In a huge way.
0: <laughs> and I do think that a lot of us sometimes gloss over those things. So it's a great learning and it's a great piece of advice. Is there anyone within the investing market, venture or otherwise, that you aspire toward? Who would that be and, and why?
1: Man, there's so many people, right? Um, I've named a few so far, right? Um, mentioned Frida Kapor Poor for um, all the work that they've done from the impact perspective while maintaining, you know, very um, aggressive and competitive um, returns. So I continue to look up to them for that. Jason Green um, and what he built at Emergence Capital from Nothing, having um, a very unique uh, lens and, and model that he was bringing to venture that has now caught on in, in a significant way. And he's been wildly successful, um, you know, since then you know, to, um, to, to folks like Ben Horowitz and Scott Cooper over at interest and Horowitz for what they built in, in such a short period of time. There's, there, there are a lot of of uh, uh, luminaries that, um, that I look at and inside the firm. We, we have a saying, great study the greats. And so we look at all of them and, and try to, you know, take the best from, from everyone.
0: You bring up an interesting point that I often forget about is that Andreessen's only been around for a little over a decade. I think it's 11 years. So it is amazing what they've done. Final question. You have seen the number of new seed firms come to market. You know, a lot of them. What piece of advice would you give to somebody that's thinking about launching their own firm right now?
1: Just realize that it's it's really, really hard. <laughs> you see, you see all the easy stuff, um, you know, fancy words and, and tweets and all that, but it's hard. Um, so, you know, just, just make sure this is something that, that you really want to do, make sure that you have, um, kind of a unique voice and lens that you're, that you're trying to bring, bring to bear. You know, there are a lot of venture firms out there. So what's going to make you unique and how do you sustain that, um, that kind of differentiated perspective and, and thing that you're bringing to the, to the market. And then also make sure you, you're you equipped to, to, to do the job, right? I um, think everyone wants to be an investor. Not everyone puts in the work to become a great investor.
0: Well, Marlon, this has been a great conversation. As always, appreciate all of your support over the years. I'm looking forward to seeing the success of Mac. Thanks again for being on here.
1: Yeah, now it's my pleasure, man. Um, I'm, I'm glad you invited me. and This was a fun conversation.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Venture Unlocked. To learn more about Marlon Nichols, Mac Ventures, or our discussion, be sure to go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify where you'll find detailed notes on the show. While you're there, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. And make sure to hit the subscribe button in order to get each and every Venture Unlocked episode as soon as it's released.